0: Hello listeners, I am your host, Fiona L.F. Kelly, and this is Big Streaming Pile, uh, a podcast where we watch bad movies on streaming services. Uh, Normally, I have my co-host Tom here, but today I have a special guest. And would my special guest like to introduce herself? Uh, Hi, I'm
1: Chelsea Rexinger Um, If you listen to the other Project Derailed podcast Specifically Fables Around the Table You know me as a uh, person who has been on multiple seasons Uh, I have just uh, been the mall rat or game master for the previous season of (laughs) I was the previous mall rat or game master for the uh, last season of Fables Around the Table uh, Tainted Love
0: Yep um <laughs> so you can you can find Chelsea on uh on our other podcast, specifically uh Fables Around the Table. I'm always so close to fucking it up. Fables Around yeah. the Table, uh which you can find <laughs> like this podcast. You can find it on any streaming service. Uh and today we are talking about Batman, which I am very excited about because I love Batman. Um, but not just any Batman. Joel Schumacher Batman which, uh, the best Batman <laughs> yeah which I think is not regarded as the worst ones anymore um I think people kind of say that Batman versus Superman are the worst ones uh, I think
1: that's the general consensus
0: now yeah yeah So like I thought about doing uh doing that one, but that movie was so divisive. Like including you know me going to the theater, I liked it. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do a movie that's like that divisive. So uh, we're going to the show to the Schumacher movies, which like stop some characters in their tracks in the media and sort of like um and sort of like derailed the entire Batman franchise for a hot minute before we got uh, Christopher Nolan's films. (laughs) um but yeah it was it was interesting going back and watching these I remember really liking these movies when I was uh when I was a kid especially Batman yeah and so Robin. did I yeah, yeah I, I had Batman <laughs> on Robin on uh VHS tape I think it it oh, sort nice. of like springboarded my lifelong love of of Barbara Gordon who is not Barbara Gordon in this one she's just Barbara, i don't know if they give her a last name but she's like alfred's niece instead of commissioner gordon's daughter but yeah i i had a good time returning to these movies though admittedly i know that everyone hates on them but they were they were sort of fun to watch so my disclaimer
1: for the joel schumacher batmans is that i am really not a batman person uh my superhero love was spider-man starting with um the comics when i was a wee one and then like the sam raimi spider-mans and i also really quite love the uh spider-man 3 for how Mm -hmm. like campy and uh over the top that is because kind of that's that's comic books to me right yeah over the top uh one-liners the the goofiness the craziness it's part of doing the comic thing right
0: yeah i um i actually saw so i will do a quick like work cited page here um something that i watched a bunch uh well not really a bunch I watched it, like two or three times was uh patrick willem's video um on youtube about the joel schumacher batman films he has a lot of really great videos i highly recommend him if you're interested in film at all and uh Also, The Caped Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture, which is a book by Glenn Weldon, and it has a lot of really, really interesting and good information about Batman and how Batman has, like, been perceived over the years and, like, been imagined by all of his different creators. So if you're looking for more Batman content outside of the show, I recommend those two places. Um... But yeah, our two films are Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And uh, let's start with Batman Forever. Um, This is the one with Two-Face and the Riddler, uh, just as a note.
1: (laughs) And they are perfect in this movie. There is not a better representation of either of these characters.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I feel sort of bad because like Jim Carrey sort of like killed that character. Like people cannot take that character seriously anymore. But you don't cast Jim Carrey unless you want Zany. Right. Um, especially
1: not then, right? Because that's he's just oh, coming yeah. off of like the mask and like Ace Ventura, I think he did right before.
0: Yeah. I I read that Robin Williams was also like sort of slotted into that part, but um he was like he didn't think that the character went big enough. And I think that <laughs> it certainly wouldn't pick enough with Jim Carrey.
1: Yeah, well, I feel like Jim Carrey somebody who was just going to be like, ah, I see where the bar is. I'm going higher
0: than that. <laughs> yeah, just... I mean, he... This was a good, like, body performance by him. Like, he yeah. had some, like, good choreography. He did, like, interesting things with his body the whole time. And he's usually such, like, a facial expressions guy that you sort of, like, know right. that he's going to be good at that. But he yeah. had a... Uh, he was doing some cool movements and stuff. And um Tommy Lee Jones as as Two-Face, I think, also did a really good oh, job. Oh, he was so
1: good. As so- The first time, as soon as he came on screen, I was just, like so enamored i was a child again watching this for the first time when i watched this again last week
0: <laughs> yeah he was another one who was just so perfectly like in control of his body like he got those perfect profile shots like yeah that's not that simple to do <laughs> like he yeah. was really hitting his mark every time oh my um, gosh so many of those shots were so good <laughs> yeah. so yeah let's get into what the movie is about um we start with the iconic uh bat oh shit, what's it called? Now I'm uh, it. Bat, bat signal, cave? right? Bat signal. Yeah, yeah. that is correct. <laughs> so we start with the uh bat signal and Commissioner Gordon and uh a character who I don't know if she was created just for this movie, but I think she was uh Dr. Chase Meridian, who is a psychologist there who is like, oh, Here's Two Face. I'm gonna psychoanalyze him and also you, Batman. And she is inexplicably wearing like a blazer and a negligee.
1: Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> which I did think brought a powerful energy, but I was also like, You're at work right now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you needed to know she was sexy. There had to be no questions about it, very yeah. clearly.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, they couldn't just cast Nicole Kidman. They they always had to have her in, like, sexy stuff. I don't know. It was really not gratuitous, which I sort of appreciated, but it was yeah. a little bit silly. <laughs> yeah. Um. It was definitely better, I guess, because, like, everyone in Gotham dresses like they're going to, like, an orgy, a rave, or a gala, right? So she's sort yeah. of, like... She fit in. I yeah. will say. Maybe that is what psychiatrists wear. Um, who knows? Uh, but so they spend the. So she's really, really into Batman because she likes bad boys, is the reason that we're <laughs> given. Um, and uh, Two Face is doing his thing. Um, this sort of like, oh no, the rocket ship's in the second one. This
1: movie has so many like Yeah. No, this is Batman and Batman Forever starts off with Two-Face breaking out of jail off-screen. He is just suddenly yeah. out of jail
0: now. <laughs> yeah. And uh we're just going to like dive right into the movie which is just, like all this chaos happening so Batman and Two-Face fight each other um we skip forward in time a little bit to uh Bruce being Bruce you know the other sort of like dual component of Batman like this Bruce Wayne character and uh he is at his job and Jim, Caric- uh, Jim carries Edward Enigma um which is the worst name i ever written ever <laughs> I know it was I was like, I kind of like that he can have the name Ed Nigma and everyone's Uh just like, okay. (laughs) Like that's That's fine. fine. (laughs) (laughs) You can definitely name your child that. Um (laughs) But he has an idea for projecting like 3D television basically, just but like into your brain. And uh Bruce is surprisingly like on board with this, like he's not like, "I will give you a million dollars right now, but he's like, "Yeah, have my secretary set up a meeting, and like you know you give me a full pitch, and we'll like look at it and all this stuff and Edward's like, "No, you fund it now, or you don't fund it at all, and I'm like, Dude, like you got what you wanted <laughs> yeah <laughs> he was like pretty on board like Um, but this for some, then, like, Bruce is like, okay, then I don't fund it, like, bye. Um, and then this for some reason spawns, like, the character's evil backstory because he was so obsessed with Bruce and Bruce was his hero. And, like, it wasn't enough that Bruce would be his partner in this But he also, he just had to, like, give him money. I'm like, "That, that seems like a better deal, though. Like, you have this idea you think is really cool. Like, this billionaire is willing to hear you out about it. And then you're just like... No, <laughs> I will not <laughs> right. work together with my hero, but
1: because then like the idea is like you start talking with them and then he's into it, and then you can ask for like more money.
0: <laughs> I know, yeah, and that also kind of like sets up the dichotomy between like um between like partnership, which is the big thing with Batman and Robin, especially in this movie because bat because uh Robin rather is not a child. he's like twenty four, which makes the whole dynamic a little bit different than like the boy wonder sort of
1: thing right and we'll get to it when we hit it in the plot but i have a,
0: a question about a, a plot point i suppose <laughs> okay awesome um so yeah he he goes back and sort of like uh, edward Nigma goes back and sort of like decides that he's gonna be a super villain now and just like fuck with everything and he hates bruce wayne um and he, through uh, various costume designs, becomes the Riddler. Um, so Batman has now approached, well, Bruce Wayne, I should say. I should be better about differentiating that. Bruce Wayne has approached um It Dr- is a dual role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Dr-, Dr. Meridian, but in his Bruce Wayne self. And uh, she's, like, not into it, but he seems, like, just damaged enough to where she's, like, intrigued. And uh, Alfred has been sort of needling batman about not having dates to the circus which is just (laughs) delightful i want to have those problems Um, right sign uh, me up yeah and he (laughs) invites her to the circus where he sort of has an idea i think at this point that like two face will like show up or something um So they go to the circus, and this is where we get the Flying Graysons. uh, Dick Grayson's family, Dick Grayson, who would, in the comics, go on to be the first Robin and is usually the iteration that people sort of, like, remember with our dear, dear boy wonder. Um, And they are acrobats. They are, like, flying trapeze acrobats. Um, Two-Face does, in fact, show up, and uh, he has this, like, Adam West style comically large bomb that's going to go off if, uh, uh-huh. if he's not stopped. And um he, and then Bruce does try to yell like, I'm Batman, but no one yeah. hears him. So he immediately <laughs> gives up on that plan, which I don't know why that was included in the first place. But, you know, also like Chastity was right next to him and she, she probably could have been like, what? <laughs> like, you're yeah, Batman? Right. <laughs> um. So he goes and fights Two-Face and the Flying Graysons have sort of decided amongst themselves that they're going to uh, take over the task of getting rid of this comically large bomb. And uh, they do so. Uh, Dick manages to throw it off the roof and into the river. But in the process, uh, Two-Face shoots down the scaffolding where the other uh, Graysons are and they all fall to their deaths, which is not dissimilar to what happens in most iterations of that story um so then also inexplicably uh he goes like dick goes back to bruce's house and uh, with commissioner gordon and commissioner gordon's like oh yeah the social workers who want to know that you're here and i'm like why (laughs) like he's a grown man (laughs) yeah Um, okay so that that's
1: my question right so obviously robin is like through our eyes, through our eyeballs, we can see that he is an adult-ass man. <laughs> yeah. Why is he being sent to Wayne Manor as a ward of the state? He's a grown-ass <laughs>
0: man. <laughs> I do not know. I did not understand that. So usually Robin skews a lot younger. Usually... Right. Um, Usually it's like Batman isn't even there if he is there. He just like sees a kid who sort of is going through the same thing that he went through and he wants to like take him under his, his wing and and be like, right. Yeah, like you can like get through this, whatever. Um I, I I read in Glenn Weldon's book actually that I think in the very first iteration of Robin, he's not like super young. He's like a little bit older, but he's not like I think that he's supposed to be like 18 or 19 or something. Um, Right. But it was like in the 30s and 40s when this was coming out, it was under a very different context um, than now, which is just something that, You would not do, you would not just be like, Hello, adult man whose family I just saw die. You (laughs) have the state says you have to stay at my house now, (laughs) (laughs) right? And uh, that's we'll get into this more later, but that does bring a very different vibe. Um, because you know, it's supposed to be that Bruce is like taking on this fatherly role, but he just has a full-grown adult man in his house now (laughs) for some reason (laughs) um so uh bruce sort of woos dick with showing him all of his motorcycles and stuff like that and dick's like all right like this is fine i can i can deal with this because i like motorcycles uh so yeah so that's more or less resolved (laughs) and uh So he does, he does agree to say, which does lead to a really great laundry scene where he's like, Alfred's like, let me do your laundry because I am the servant. And, uh, Dick is like, no, I can do it. And he's like flipping all of his shirts, all of which are wet. And I have to imagine that they're only wet because when they were trying to like choreograph this, the dry shirts did not like work. Right. (laughs) Like like I'm sure that the water (laughs) added some much needed weight to it, but it's pretty funny.
1: (laughs) You mean you don't dry your clothes by doing like random martial arts moves?
0: Yeah, that was like the (laughs) weird part was like he was like... There's a dryer right there and it's not like this is anything that would not need to go in the dryer. It's just like t-shirts, like something right. special.
1: <laughs> I wonder if we were supposed to be like, ah, oh, this is something those crazy circus folk do.
0: <laughs> I do not know. I think it was just supposed to indicate that like, oh yeah, he can like do cool moves, but we already more or less like knew that because right, he he's was an, an acrobat. <laughs> so I, probably- I don't know.
1: Yeah, there probably could have been a more natural way for us to discover that, but I I stand the uh, the martial arts washing. <laughs> <scene>. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I I forget who said this. I think I read it in the in the book I just mentioned, but it was like they described it as like an extremely weird, like wax on, wax off in the Karate Kid, but just yeah. like full camp. Like <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also read in that book that a lot of these scenes, a lot of like the bigger scenes were just like Joel Schumacher had an idea for something that he thought would look really cool. And then he told the screenwriters and everyone else to uh, work stuff up to it so that it could happen, which is not like the worst way to make a movie, especially a movie like this. But I thought it was interesting.
1: Honestly, with the way that um, Batman
0: Forever looks, that absolutely makes sense to me. Right. Uh, like he yeah, he just wanted these set pieces and then the whole movie sort of like works around them.
1: Yeah. There there's a couple times watching where it was just like I was so taken by the way something was framed and shot and and lit that it was just like ooh, this was like a star moment where he was like okay, this is the big one. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, and he made these movies. I guess that they like look cheap now, but I mean like they were pretty fantastical movies that he made like under right. budget and like on time if not early which is also like something that just never happens especially for like a superhero film <laughs> right <laughs> um but yeah Ro- robin um ends up in the Batcave. cave uh he like finds the entrance to it and uh he takes the car out um He ends up in the the seedy underbelly of Gotham, where everyone has painted themselves with like black light paint for some reason, and oh, this uh, seems so cool though <laughs> it is really cool, and he saves a girl who is being like kidnapped by thugs, and um he's like also simultaneously trying to convince everyone that he's Batman, and everyone's <laughs> yeah. like, "You're not Batman, which I do think was pretty funny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think we do get to call it the Batmobile. We don't like get rid of the name Batmobile um, in this one. I think that that was taken away during Nolan's films. But I do like because right, that that's call it the Batmobile. that's too comical
1: of a name. We're not allowed yeah. to have fun in
0: Batman. That's against the rules. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so he does like get a taste of superhero heroing, but Batman's like kind of pissed about this, like understandably so. Like, this kid just sort of like committed Grand Theft Auto. Um, and uh, he's like, oh, you know, you need to just stay out of this. And uh, um, Robin Dick Grayson is trying very hard to convince him that he needs a partner, he needs like this ingenue. Um, which she really doesn't like he's not really (laughs) offering anything uh but when we get this sort of like uh home invasion with um with two-face and the riddler where they end up successfully kidnapping dr chase meridian um he does agree to sort of take robin under his wing metaphorically and also like sort of literally (laughs) right and while we were explaining that
1: plot, uh, we did forget to mention that after uh, Enigma has decided to y- go full bad guy, he he has approached um, Two-Face and is like, Hey, you're a bad guy. I'm a
0: bad guy. We should be friends. Oh, yeah, that does happen. Yeah, he, uh, he ends up in Two-Face's lair. Which, of course, everything is just, like, split in half. And he has, like, two women wearing, like, fetish outfits on, on either side. One is, like, white and one is, like, red. That, is, that set is so fucking cool. <laughs> it is a fun scene. Um, we also get a very good scene of when they are in Bruce Wayne's mansion because they have sort of, like, figured out through the brainwave stuff that a gala that Batman is uh, Bruce Wayne. And that's how they know to go to his house. Um they the riddler does go down and destroys the bat cave and that is also a pretty fun scene (laughs) spectacular scene (laughs) yeah so now uh so now batman's at his low point he you know he needs to go and have robin help him save his his girlfriends uh who he is like sort of hot and cold on. Oh, another thing we forgot. So many things happen in these movies. Um, yeah, there's
1: I, just so much.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to, like, cut what is, like, what we need to cut just for the sake right. of time. to what, like What's
1: not important, but a lot right. of it comes back later. Yeah, a lot it's of like, it comes oh, right. back.
0: <laughs> yeah, shortly before this scene, um, Batman goes to chase Meridian at her house, and she's like, oh, sorry, I've, like... Fall in love with someone else, and um, he's like, "That's fine," and he goes to leave, and he has the goofiest grin, and like, the eyes don't articulate at all because of the cowl, but it looks extremely funny.
1: (laughs) Uh huh. And yeah, uh, that that what a scene.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So um, so they they have no choice now; they have to save Chase. So Batman and Robin uh go out. To the Riddler's Island, which he has an island somehow, and he is sucking up everyone's brain waves through their TVs and he's going to put them into his brain for something. And um, we get like a holy whatever Batman because uh-huh. we have to reference Adam West. We just have <laughs> to. These movies are basically just like modern Adam West Batman. Yeah. Um, with a much, much bigger budget and like also more coherent storytelling yes um, <laughs> but uh so robin and uh robin and two-face end up fighting outside which you know is because Two-Face like killed his family he gets his moment but he ends up saving Two-Face instead of letting him fall to his death which is Robin's doom so they capture him and uh, in Batman's confrontation with the Riddler he has Chase Meridian and Robin basically like the classic like who are you gonna save Batman like you know Uh they do this in Spider-Man too they do this in basically everyone which like it's a
1: very comic book trope
0: yeah. So um Batman is very quickly like I'm not going to like choose anyone. I'm going to like save all of them. <laughs> and he does so and it's wonderful. Um there's there's a big fun scene with like lots of falling large metal objects that's that's pretty neat. And um in the process he's able to uh to defeat the Riddler and he sends the Riddler into face to Arkham Asylum um because we don't kill our enemies in Batman. We just send them to jail. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then nothing bad ever happens there.
0: And then ever. nothing bad <laughs> ever happens. But Chase Meridian in the uh, process has found out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Um, So she goes... To- she like goes into Arkham Asylum, and uh, someone is telling her that oh, he thinks he knows who Batman is, and like referring to, uh, the Riddler. And she goes, and it, he's like, "I'm the Batman," and she's like, "Good, the secret is safe." And then, um, <laughs> and then Bruce gets everyone. He gets his like young lad. He gets his like sexy psychology lady. He gets Alfred. It's all good. Like, it all worked out. <laughs> and everybody was happy. The end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, we'll start here for this movie. Then we'll get into uh, the next movie and also talk about our overarching thoughts about Batman. But what did you think about this movie? So, I really love Batman Forever. And the way that I love it
1: as a stylized retelling or a stylized adaptation, perhaps. Um, I really love weird adaptations of things, and right. like like we were saying, this is almost like a an adaptation of the Adam West Batman, which is an adaptation of the comic books
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I love how much character this has like there's not a a inch of screen space wasted that has no character in any of the shots in this movie, and it's
0: amazing, right. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is like, so this is not fully based on the Adam West Batman. Famously, this has like the bat nipples and stuff like that. And um, I really like Gotham in this too. Like it doesn't look just like any city because like the whole thing about Metropolis is that it always looks like something out of Star Trek. It always looks like super clean and futuristic and stuff like that. And Gotham is like the opposite. Um, Right, so I think it's fun that he, like, took Gotham and put these, like, obscenely large Grecian statues in the middle of it. And that's, like, so comic booky. just having these, like, right. monuments, because, like, monuments and statues in, the, in and of themselves are, like, mythology-building devices. So when you just have, like, all of them stuck in the middle of the city and having, like, bad guys drive over them all the time, it just, like... It just feels like so cool, and that's yeah, yeah. And these movies came out in the '90s, which is when um, we were kind of at the height of our like Jim Lee style cover art with like the very gratuitous, like super super Jack dudes and like these right. women with like giant boobs and very small waists and stuff like that. And I feel like <laughs> it does capture that aspect of it, like having the bat suit not just be like. Um, you know a rubber suit with the bat symbol on it but being this like stylized version of the ultimate male form so you have sort of the opposite of the Adam West one which is just like really unflattering spandex (laughs) with like a guy in it you have this like this this almost like Grecian style like male body, but with, like, a cod piece with a bat symbol on it. Right,
1: and that's something that Schumacher always did well, especially in his two, like, well, I guess three big ones before this, um, Flatliners and The Lost Boys and um, St. Elmo's Fire? hmm That's the other one? Yeah. Um, those all are very aesthetically pleasing movies, and they all have, like, trademark shots, in them, like... Schumacher is very much a, I'm going to take the frame that we're using for the scene and make it into a painting, per se. Um, And when you can tell very very easily when watching Batman Forever that he was very much trying to make this emulate a comic. Um, One of the things I noticed uh, through watching was every time we were introduced to a character that was important... Um, we were in a low angle shot to show how, like, awe-inspiring and dangerous and powerful these characters are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, like, right off the bat, before you they even say anything, before you even get, like, a chance to look at them, really, you know that this person is important and powerful and probably dangerous to some extent.
0: Right. Yeah, it just like frames people so well in the world. And that's like the other thing that I think that people like it sometimes gets weird in some Batman adaptations like the Tim Burton ones before this like leaned pretty hard into like the oh, Batman's doing this because he's like mentally unwell Um, right? and I I think that it is a story about trauma so I get where people are going with that sort of take but also Batman is not doing something particularly weird like you know he is in a place where bad guys will dress up in these like ridiculous campy costumes and be like I'm going to take this diamond from the art museum (laughs) he 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 and have like a bunch of henchmen and stuff like that um, right, And like you have Superman and like Wonder Woman and all these other characters. So it's not like he's just doing this just out of nowhere. Um, right. So I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's about like trauma or whatever. But I feel like what Schumacher played with really well with it was he made Batman fit into his world and he made the world feel like it could have produced Batman. Um, yeah which is something that i feel like a lot of uh of the movies and adaptations don't quite get right like when they're like just off enough with it where it's like what things would have to fall in place for batman to become a thing because that wouldn't necessarily happen like just in the real world where like you know you would right. have this billionaire who's like traumatized and has a bat phobia well i i think the bat phobia was a was a uh nolan thing but has some sort of like thing with bats and uh is like i'm going to like dress up right. and, and do this thing um but that just wouldn't happen especially for someone with that many resources they would put their time into like anything else like literally anything else right <laughs> um right so yeah i, I like that about these movies that like it really embraced the camp side of of the batman story which is um right. i also like the dark and gritty side but the camp side is one that i th- I feel like we should forget about i feel like it's like you know it's batman all the way down like it's all batman he's campy he's gritty he's a loner he has robin like you know it's a cool guy <laughs> right and that's as as many times as
1: batman has been adapted into other things like it, it's weird to to have the feel like you have the authority to say well that isn't batman right because yeah i mean even in other comic books uh like my expertise is in spider-man uh there are like 17 different spider-mans you know you've got black suit spider-man you've got spider-man 2099 so like future spider-man you've got one of my favorite adaptations of spider-man spider-man new war uh yeah it is which is like spider-man in the 1940s and it makes zero sense and it's super gritty and it's like i i love it ironically not because it's super gritty but because it's like it's spider-man what what is happening
0: (laughs) yeah and i think that that's sort of like the interesting dichotomy between um between spider-man and between batman right because like spider-man comes from nothing basically as like no resources. And he's granted this incredible power and he wants to like do right. And like, you know, prove himself. And then Batman has everything he could ever want, but he's, you know, he's experienced these great traumas. Um, and it's almost interesting, like psychologically, like why people are attracted to Batman, because it's almost like yeah. you could be Batman. Like if you like somehow ended up with all this money and you like worked out, you could just be Batman. Um, you don't get that with like Spider-Man or Superman or whatever, who are these like idealized versions of people like Batman is very complicated and um he's just a guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, I also think that this movie like it-, it says interesting things about the nature of trauma. Um, you get like the psychologist character, Chase Meridian, um, really to like delve into like, oh, like you're having nightmares and and all these different things, because that's also a big set piece in the Batman story is, like, how this has affected him and, like, in what ways does his trauma, like, manifest themselves. And I think the thesis of this one is sort of, like, the trauma manifests itself as Batman and he wants to, like, help people because, you know because no one was there to help him basically um which is right. like lead into the sisyphean task that batman has where it's not just that he's gonna like kill the dude who like killed his parents he's going to wipe out all crime in this very crime-ridden city but, right um but yeah it's like oop, hi mia <laughs> sorry <laughs> i was like waving my hand around and all of a sudden there was a mia um <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, though, because so many of, like, the things Batman does, uh, with the exception of, like, Dick Grayson, is, like, he stops someone from stealing an important diamond and and things like that, where it's, like, that doesn't actually help people. (laughs) Right. At the end of the day, like, that helps Batman's peers, who are, like, other people with obscene amounts of money
1: (laughs) right and like as i i also like the like psychology angle that this one took in particular but like i don't know maybe i'm very simple-minded and i don't want like i don't care i guess (laughs) why batman is is doing this right like yeah Especially if we're setting it up like, you know, Batman goes out and he stops banks from being robbed and he stops, you know, people from blowing up buildings and stuff. Like, yeah, that's probably saving people some, like, pain or whatever, but, like, Mm -hmm. trying to formulate, like, oh, it's because of his trauma that he needs to save other people. It's like, or he could just be morally good. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's a superhero, <laughs> like yeah. I don't need I don't need the the fake deep explanations for a superhero to be a good guy. Like that th- that doesn't do anything to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I yeah I, I I sort of agree. Depending on the adaptation, I think that Chase was like a holdover of of the uh, of the Tim Burton Batman's where they were like trying to psychoanalyze him and be like, oh, he's just like the Joker. They're like two sides of a coin, whatever. And I'm like. He, he, He's not, though. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I can't say, like, what is or is not Batman, but I think that that is, like, not my preferred take of, of what's going on right. with Batman. Um, but I do... Uh, what I do like about our, like, peek into his psychology here is his relationship with uh with Dick Grayson, with our, yeah. our dear, dear Robin, where he sees this person who's kind of ended up in the same situation as him, but with, like, very different resources. So he's like okay and he's taking on um this fatherly wink wink <laughs> <laughs> role with him um yeah let's talk about dick and bruce cuz that yeah. is there's a lot to unpack with this yeah um, there there sure is <laughs> what i sort of love is that many people don't want to include robin um because that makes it a little gay and i and batman's not gay batman's not gay he just has entire movies about how he can't kiss women but batman's not gay like
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but- he's determined to be a lifelong bachelor but he's not gay
0: <laughs> i know something that made me laugh as i was reading about batman was like he gets uh dick grayson and everyone's like is he gay and then they introduce alfred as if that makes it less gay. And I'm like, arguably, that <laughs> makes him more gay. Um, and yeah, I'm not like, using that. <laughs> I'm not using that to insult the Yeah, like. Yeah, of course this is, not. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's not to insult the character. I just, I just personally believe that Batman is very, very gay. Um, <laughs> not in the pejorative at all, just like literally it seems pretty gay. (laughs) Right. And like,
1: I think some of that's because Batman is such like a hyper masculine character,
0: right? Yeah. Like he, yeah, he's like this hyper masculine guy who like runs around in a rubber suit. Um, women throw themselves at him wearing like negligees and blazers. And he only really approaches them when he's like, oh, that's like free therapy sessions though. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's like so determined to be this lifelong bachelor who like doesn't commit to everyone, anyone except Robin who he will super commit to upon meeting him. Um Right. That does not seem totally straight. Which is fine. <laughs> right. I like it. Like, Yeah. Joel Schumacher was not a straight guy. Like, you know, he was the gay man. And I think that, you know, I mean, like, obviously, Death of the Author, we can't, like, you know, we can't make this be like, oh, like, Joel Schumacher, like, is trying to, like, make this great statement or whatever. But he definitely, like, embraced right. the camp elements of this. Um, yeah. Because it's and just, honest- like, campy and kind of queer. And that's that's cool. I like it. Right. And that's
1: really what makes it memorable, you know, if it wasn't so, you know, quote unquote gay, I don't think we'd be talking about it still. It'd be one of those forgotten adaptations that only the real film buffs pull out and they're like, hey, remember this one? And everybody's like, yeah. no, what's that?
0: <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like a lot of people have seen Batman and Robin, like people don't super go back to like watch the... uh Watch the Adam West ones, although they have had sort of a resurgence lately, like in the comics and in like the cartoons and stuff like that people reference the Adam West Batman. Um, right, but people just hate iterations of that. they do not wanna see it, and I think that's born out of um a want to be taken seriously, and I think that people conflate heterosexuality with like being serious, you know he's right, he's a cool loner, and he just doesn't want anyone to get hurt, and that's why he turns down all the ladies um but yeah i you gotta love you gotta love earring Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I I do wonder if perhaps in an alternate universe if Batman was like the cool thing that like the jocks and the popular kids liked if maybe Batman would be able to be conceived like be be performed as a a gay character with less yeah. pushback.
0: Yeah, I'm like we can cut all the ladies out of the Batman stories and I don't think it really changes that much with the exception of like, you know, Barbara Gordon, um Batwoman, you know, like those characters, but he's taking right. on like a patriarchal role in that sense, uh rather than like a romantic thing, except for the Killing Joke movie, which I did not like and it made me so uncomfortable. Um <laughs> but that's a that's a story for a different episode. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah,
1: yeah. I I just think um, it, it, like because so, this is a problem we have with a lot of other nerd fandom things, right? As soon as somebody tries to make it a little goofy, a little cartoony, a little more not what the straight white male nerds would prefer, there's all this pushback against it, right?
0: Yeah, because like you can make the argument like, oh, these are more for kids, and I remember loving these, maybe as a kid. Like I thought they yeah. were a the fucking bomb um so yeah like but batman's not for kids and you have also these comics that like make it very clear batman's not for kids you have like the killing joke and like dark knight rises and all that where it's like nah this is this is a serious story about about a totally straight guy who like does all this (laughs) stuff and i i do still like those like well, I have, I have a lot of problems with the killing joke, but I do still like uh, the concept of this like darker adult Batman. And I don't think that because he's a superhero it means that he's necessarily for kids, but I also don't really blame people who want to take comic books that in their original iterations were meant for kids and to make a movie about them like for kids Um, right i think that that's a perfectly fine instinct
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely like because then of course you're you're also spreading your media right you're you're spreading your property to more audiences who can then you know grow up and discover the the nitty-gritty you know adaptations
0: right exactly like I mean, you gotta watch like all the Batman movies that come out, right? Like, even if they kind of suck, you just like you just gotta watch them. He's such a ubiquitous character. Um, Just they're just fun movies to see. I don't know if If I have to see
1: if I have to see another Batman origin movie. (laughs) Yeah, I I
0: I might die. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing with like. Oh That's the thing with like Batman and Superman at this point is that we like we know we know what their backstory is. Um, right. And a lot of the comics don't really, like, hit on that super hard. That's sort of the beautiful thing about comic books, I think, is that because you only have those, like, 22 pages, you need to be telling those in a couple panels. Like, you need to just be like, right. duh, 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 we're moving on. Um, and I, I think that's a cool way to do it. I think that, like, movies should also take that from the medium where, like, people aren't interested in, like, you know, I mean, the the parents dying are, in fact, a shorthand for, like, wow, your childhood kind of sucked. Like, sorry. Right. (laughs) But Um, also,
1: like, so I'm trying to remember, it's been a hot second, but since we keep bringing up Batman vs. Superman, did we not get, like, an intro of, like, the pearls falling at the beginning of that? Like, his whole backstory is in the opening credits.
0: Yeah, it's the opening credits where they're, like, falling in slow motion, like Jeffrey Dean Morgan and whoever played his mom. Right. Um, yeah. I remember While that in particular because it. it
1: was shot super good. <laughs> that was yeah. one of my favorite, like, opening shots ever. <laughs> but I, yeah, I like I that, the way
0: Zack Snyder shoots things. So <laughs> I do too. I had such a weird, like, you know how people have shared that clip of, like, um, Henry Calville and uh Ben Affleck where like they're talking about the movie and then they get the news broken that everyone hated it. And then like it goes to the Hello Darkness, my old friend, as uh-huh. Ben as like it closes it on Ben Affleck. That was me coming out of the theater being like, Wow, I really liked that and everyone was like, That sucked and I was like, yeah. Oh
1: <laughs> Okay, so I saw Batman for Superman this was the first like popular comic book movie I had seen in a theater since Spider-Man 1, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1, and I saw it with our other Project Derailed uh, friend, uh, Tanner. Mm-hmm. We both saw it together, and we came out, and he was like, that was the worst thing I ever saw, and I was like,
0: I loved that so much. <laughs> I know. It was such a weird experience. And yeah, I, like I did have one other person in my group who also really liked it and was like, I don't know if it was just like that we we're both big like Batman comic book readers. So I don't know if we just like connected to it on that level. But I think that like uh I think that Zack Snyder makes really good like comic book movies. And I think that Joel Schumacher also does really good comic book movies, but they both have like a way to bring that bigness to life on the big screen in a way I think is really right, cool. Exactly.
1: Well, I think that's kind of like the difference right now between you know, like quote comic book movies, and comic book movies, if that yeah. makes sense. Because like if you compare something like this or Batman vs Superman to like you know one of the twenty seven thousand Marvel movies, yeah, I I would say even though the Schumacher Batman's and Batman vs Superman might be objectively of lesser quality. Mm-hmm. I would still watch those over any Marvel movie any day.
0: Yeah, be, uh, and there are some Marvel movies that I think are like really, really good movies, especially within the genre. Like I think that about like Black Panther and uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah, and, yeah. But the the issue is, is that after a certain point, they're not trying anything. Like I really like what they did to kickstart their universe. They took Iron Man this comic book that most people hadn't really heard of like within the Marvel Universe there's some you know there's Captain America everyone knows who that is right but they took Iron Man who had this like really small following and reimagined the character in really cool ways and um you know, the way that movie was shot was in no small part due to, like, how people perceived, like, Batman Forever and Batman Robin and Batman Robin, right? Like, you know, it starts right. out, he's in Afghanistan, and there's military dudes all around him, and he gets blown up, and he has to have this thing put into his chest. Um But also, it, like, gave them an opportunity to, like, do something cool with, you know, a character that didn't already have this, like really big established canon in pop culture because there had been i think that there is like a really old iron man movie or something like that and he was like in the cartoons but yeah he was not like tony stark tm
1: (laughs) right he was never a main character as far when it came to like on screen media
0: Yeah. And he I mean, he in and of himself is sort of antithetical to Batman, right? Like, you know, the beginning of the movie. Well, I guess in the middle of the movie, everyone's like, oh, like, you know, people are gonna find out who you are. And then he just does that. I'm Iron Man at a press conference um, to just set himself apart because he seems like he should be Batman. But he is like he's more sarcastic and funny he doesn't really have a sidekick he has like a best friend and you know he's willing to like say who he is and like be this billionaire playboy who does have these extended relationships with women he is a straight um (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i i that's an interesting dichotomy between those two movies i think that that has a vision that's pretty strong. Like it's adding to the genre, but then after a certain point it's like you've already like seen the Marvel movies. Like they have like a bad guy from the comics who like, you know, your nerd friend will tell you about while the movie's going on and then that person will just die. And then like what we're really waiting for is like the small setup that's for like Avengers seventeen or whatever.
1: Right. And it's like it gets to the point where it's like, okay, stop wasting my time. Yeah. Like as you know, we we recounted Batman Forever Tonight, and it had so many things happening in it. So there were uh, two major villains, and there was a side character, there were like 13 plots going on at the same time, and <laughs> yeah. there was so much stuff, there was no time wasted, and there was character growth, and we got to see relationships grow and fall, and everything was so like condensed and tightly
0: packed and that movie's like what just over two hours just under two hours i think that batman forever is 90 minutes and batman and robin is like two hours and 15 minutes okay so an
1: hour and a half a normal length movie had more content more character more plot than a marvel movie
0: (laughs) yeah and I think that we sort of, like, lose that. And I'm not going to entirely blame this on Marvel. I'm going to also blame this on Sins, who I really don't want this show to ever be like, where it's just, like, this obsession with, like, finding plot holes or, like, you know... Diff- right. or Or just, like, things that don't make sense or things that are unbelievable or whatever. But that's, like, the whole point is that comic books are unbelievable. So if you want, right. like, a hyper-realistic movie with, like... With no logical inconsistencies and stuff like that. And, like, it, it's what you would do in that situation. Then you're watching then a very you'd, different movie from Batman, yeah, then you'd you know? Be, <laughs> yeah, you'd be watching a drama
1: or a romantic yeah. comedy. Not even a romantic comedy. A romance movie. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> Yeah. And there's been such a push to, like... To like make your films just unable to be picked apart in that way, but that's not actually interesting media criticism. That is just like it's being not. a pedantic nerd, which I'm yeah. fine with. Like I'm a pedantic nerd in many ways, but also you shouldn't be like making your movies just so right. people can't take them apart and be like, well, this is a plot hole, blah blah blah. Because so
1: when you're when you're focusing on the little bits, right, you lose your big picture. Like, right. so, ma- so many parts of the Schumacher Batmans have these scenes that make no sense. Yeah. Why does Two Faces, you know, pad look like this? Why, you know, do we have, why does it end with a- the bat signal and Batman and Robin running towards the camera? Why would they ever do that? That doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. And it's because it looks fucking awesome and it encapsulates right.
1: something. Um, and I think what a lot of um, people lose because, you know, you're constantly thinking oh they're going to pick apart all these like plot holes and whatever in our movies you're missing the opportunity to tell your story through you know the visual media right like you're losing a lot of information through shots because all of the marvel movies have to look a certain way or else people will get mad right it's got to have this aesthetic that's very clean and sanitized so that people will be like ooh shiny but yeah. it doesn't have character to it
0: yeah I, I don't know. I I go to see all the Marvel movies. Like I like a lot of them. Like I said, but there's just something special about a DC movie because, like, DC movies so often um, they try something, and I love movies that try something, even if they like fail at it. If they just like give it a shot, I'm like, I mean, that's like the crux of the show, right? Is to like just look at these movies. Like, what are they trying to get at? What are they trying to say with this? even if you fail, you sort of, like, fail forward with it. I would rather that than a boring movie any day. Right, exactly.
1: And, like, as, you know, vetted as, uh Schumacher is, he's had so many successful movies prior to this and after that. Well, maybe not after this, but... um, Like, there were obvious risks taken, even just by the camera shots. Um, You know, probably 45% of these shots are Dutch angle shots. Yeah, uh, because it's trying to it's trying to mimic the way that a comic book frame would look.
0: Yeah, and it does really well with that. Um, yeah, and it doesn't go the Snyder route of like Watchmen, where it's literally just you're looking at the exact panel from the book. Like it tries something right. new. He like adds to it, and I. I really liked Watchmen as an aside. Um, yes. <laughs> I think that Snyder changed that in exactly all the right ways while keeping very close to the original material. But um that's not what Schumacher was trying to do. Like he wasn't trying to retell like an Alan Moore story or anything like that. He was trying to right. tell his own story, like what who he thinks Batman is. Um and it's this, like it's embracing those like goofy Adam West, like, you know, very bizarre, like big big bulking man moments and just right. having fun with it and i i like that you know that's that's a cool way to look at it
1: um here's another adaptation question for you which i think mm-hmm. is really interesting cuz everybody seems to have a different opinion on this how much of the source material or from whatever work you're adapting from do you think you need to carry over for it to still i'm i'm trying to figure out how to say this yeah, I think it to I know still what you're saying. be the same. Yeah, yeah. Because like I, I love adaptations that are very drastically different things. Um, and one of my favorite examples to bring up with this is um, Avatar versus uh, the Last Airbender movie. If we can go on this tangent real quick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I watched a video essay. Um, that like brain blasted me. And it was like, so if we're looking at adaptations, fine, but is it fair to compare what the adapted work? So Mm -hmm. in this case, the movie. Is it fair to compare that to the original source? Right. And are your opinions that are assessing whether or not the adapted work is good or bad in comparison to the original work fair or meaningful or like should you even be able to account for that in assessing whether or not the adapted work is objectively good
0: right i think i think it's really just like an art form if i'm being honest um i've really liked adaptations that stray like pretty far from the source material um I don't like it when you do the Disney stuff that's trying to like retroactively be woke about it or whatever. I don't think that that's yeah. actually good. <laughs>
1: that's 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 another good point. Um, if, if or another good uh, comparison, the the Disney Renaissance remakes that they are so determined to make.
0: Yeah. I think that you need to have a vision, um, but I think that you also need to understand the heart of what's there, and that that can be very different things to very different people. And I think that that's sort of like a feature, not a bug, right? That like, right? You know what? No, what do you what What do you get out of this, and how can we like take it and make it really cool and evoke those same things in this medium, um, right? And that can be anything. That can be like you know the. Uh, that can be like uh, Zack Snyder doing an almost panel-for-panel panel remake of Watchmen, with the exception of the ending, uh, which he changes for for the better, I think, honestly. Yeah. Or it can be something like Schumacher's Batman, where he's just taken a character that's really been settled into the cultural canon and just does weird things with him um, in totally original stories. So, I i don't know it really depends <laughs> on the person it's it's such a complicated question i think like there's no one right. right way to do an adaptation you just have to like have a vision with it
1: right i that's something that has like been really interesting to me as i was a young one being like i love movies and i want to get into movies and understanding why they work and how they work and i remember in school uh when i was at college taking a class on adaptation and like, if you're adapting a, a short story to a screenplay for, per se, like what, what you need to take from it in order to, to make it work. And I think through doing that and through going back and watching quote-unquote bad adaptations, um, I've developed kind of this personal uh, idea that I don't think- I, I think an adaptation is more enjoyable if you don't compare it to its original material. Yeah. I think like having the story in the back of your mind is helpful and can help your enjoyment. But I think being like, well these details are not exactly the same, so therefore this is bad. How dare they change a thing? Or how yeah. dare they not include everything? Or how dare because that it, it's so limiting, right? Then mm-hmm. every adaptation would just be a remake. Yeah. And th- there then there's no point of doing that right because we already have the
0: thing yeah and what's interesting is i think that people are pretty like down for that in like musical theater like musical theater yeah. has been doing a lot of adaptations recently that have strayed like pretty far from the original work and um i think that just by merit of theater being this like very musical theater especially being this like very campy sort of medium. Um, people are willing to let people go a little bit wild with it if it means that they can do something cool. Whereas movies, especially when you get into characters that have these, like, 75-some-odd-year histories or whatever, people want them to be a particular way. Um, and then we have to get to the heart of, like, who is Batman. And I think the most people can agree that he's, like, billionaire martial arts expert, like loner or father who like you know is a hero and that's sort of right. where the similarities stop um with batman and you know I, there's <laughs> there's really only one work that i think that everyone can agree on is like a good batman work which is like the cartoon the animated series Yeah. Um, and that's about it. People just were not into it otherwise. But with that, they were really, really strict on, on how they presented it. Like, they had this character sketch of Batman that only had a few points to it, and then they stuck to those points. And uh, they really didn't even do, like, outside pitches or anything uh, for it, unless it was someone who had, like, who had experience writing for Batman in the comic books or whatever. Um Right. So I think that really what that says is that with Batman, like people don't like the campy stuff. But if you're going to do Batman, have a vision, <laughs> like, right. you know, ha- have a, you know, something that Batman means to you. Um, because I, I do. I do think it's funny that um, everybody wants this
1: adult gritty Batman, but the one Batman we all agree is good is the one that was forked children
0: it's a Saturday morning cartoon man. yeah <laughs> yeah and like it is like a little bit more mature than than cartoons but I think that cartoons also undercut like how much kids like dark stuff and like scary stuff
1: um, right so
0: I think it's absolutely appropriate for children but that's that's a childlike story and I think it's a really good story that can be um viewed Uh, for adults and the adults would really like but then you sort of get into the My Little Pony problem right where it's like it's not really for kids or girls it's for like the adult men who are really into this Um, right I guess that's not the case
1: (laughs) yeah I guess that's the next question though Uh, when we're looking at whether a you know a Batman movie is good or bad do we care more about how the director feels or the storytellers feel or do we care more about how the fans feel
0: yeah, I think that studios have ent- wholesale given up on the fans. <laughs> I think that they're yeah. like, there is no pleasing the Batman fans, uh, and they're going to see the movie anyway, which is true. Like people, like right. I think that BVS was really the only like super flop with Batman. Um, right. Even these two movies made a fair bit of money. I think that BVS did not though.
1: <laughs> and now we're <laughs> yeah.
0: getting a new Batman movie. Now we're getting uh Rob Pat Batman. Um, yeah
1: hoping because we needed more batman
0: (laughs) yeah i here's a question what what does your ideal batman movie look like what what direction would you go for batman
1: uh my idea my ideal direction i would so my ideal batman if i i'm the director um i go a little goofy with it but not like probably not schumacher levels of camp and crazy right because mm-hmm. that's, I I know I could never achieve something like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it would still be a little cartoony in nature, I think. There would be one villain, we would focus on mm-hmm. one villain, and it would probably be more of a, not a detective drama per se, but it would be, have like these supernatural elements about it, because obviously the, the appeal is that, that we're dealing with, you know, unhuman people right in some ways um so it's more like a a person who is you know there's a great thing happening affecting other people so we can you know pretend that batman really cares about the humanity of of everybody in gotham and it it's like him and i would probably include robin because that's yeah uh, seeing that batman can in fact be a team player is is important to me mm-hmm. <laughs> having a, a badass singular you know, I'm the toughest guy ever. Batman is like okay, cool, I guess. Like, I don't need Batman to be a power fantasy for me. <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah, it, it, it's probably a, a more of a detective story like the old, you know, comics were. Um, at least as I understand mm-hmm. them to be.
0: Yeah, well it started out as a the shadow ripoff. Really? Right. (laughs) So yeah, it was like very like, um, you know, like noir style detective type of stuff.
1: Right. And yeah, that's so I I also really love noir stuff. But I feel like if you take the noir and, you know, you put the style in on it, right? Mm -hmm. You make it a little more cartoony, a little more, you know, make everybody seem like these powerful, obtuse figures. Mm -hmm. Like that, to me, that is Batman, this, yeah. you've got these really powerful people moving amongst, you know, normal people who, who don't know what's happening and have no way to, you know, defend themselves. But there's these, in a way, these powerful gods, which seems to be how Schumacher saw them,
0: uh, fighting amongst you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> um.
1: Uh, I'm trying to think of what villain and I'd want. It'd probably be someone so like... Uh, yeah. I'd probably want a lady villain just for that, mm. you know. Yeah. Then you can really be like, ah, oh, well, of course he, he needs to best the lady villain so that he can prove that he wants only nice ladies because he is the straight man.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I think I would do an under the red hood adaptation. I would do like uh I would do his his poor dead Robin coming back and being like Red Hood and this anti-hero. Which, because we need to have everything be a cinematic universe, would set up Red Hood and the Outlaws, which is a comic that no one liked but me, I think. And they only did like 12 (laughs) issues of it, but I loved every single one, Um, even with its like weirdly misogynist problems, because I think that that is like ripe for an adaptation, like ripe for someone to take it over and do a cool thing with it.
1: (laughs) Right. I just it just hit me. You know what Batman I would make? If what? I was making a Batman movie, I would be re- I would be making Batman Beyond. Mm, OK, uh, because then you you know, you're not even dealing with Bruce Wayne anymore. He's old in a wheelchair and he's going to sit in the corner. Well, I get to do whatever I want. Right. With my yeah. new character. Yeah, I <laughs> that, dig it. That's that's the refreshing Batman that I want. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So, yeah. So going to deviate from the plan and uh, return with a Batman and Robin episode. Um, taking on two two movies for this can sometimes just mean that it's a really long episode but I think that the, this one unless we make a three hour episode we're gonna need yeah. another you know, one for Batman and Robin
1: yeah uh, there's just so much in both of these right that I think we yeah. really need the extra time to do justice to to both of these wonderful fine Batman
0: movies <laughs> yeah exactly Um, so yeah so okay great we'll do that Um, so then uh do you have any other thoughts about this batman forever movie i I really love it
1: <laughs> yeah there there's something about the 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 aesthetics that I really love and the bright colors and the camera shots and mm-hmm. I think if you're gonna watch a Batman movie like you it's not this isn't the wrong one yeah and if you can handle some bat nipples, I think it's definitely like one of it's definitely one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good Batman movie. Um I will I will end with my final hot take that this movie is about being bisexual because there's such a duality with everything. Like there's, you know, he's approaching Chase as Batman and as Bruce Wayne and then at the end he has to choose between Robin and uh and Dr. Chase Meridian, and not to say that being bisexual is being only attracted to men and women because there were many genders, but I just thought that that was an interesting, like, oh, this is about bisexuality, like, I get you, Schumacher, I like this. <laughs> I, I I like that read, I, I can dig that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was that was my thoughts as I was going through, because I'm like, well, I don't think that he's, like, Gay, because at first, like at the right. beginning, when he just wholesale rejected her, I'm like, okay, he's like a little bit on the gay side this one. But this movie felt very bisexual. It had a lot of bisexual lighting in it with like the pink and purple and blue. Yeah, so I'm like, I get you, Schumacher. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that we've that we've addressed it pretty clearly. But I think that this is a uh, you should watch this movie. Um yeah, definitely watch this movie. Yeah, you, I think that everyone should watch this movie. Especially if you haven't seen this movie in 20 years, I think you should watch this movie again. yeah just...
1: de- def yeah, get a drink and like some friends and then, you know, yeah. even if you are so abhorred by, you know, how extra everything is, you at least have somebody to laugh with.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um this is this is a fun movie. So, yeah, yeah. Uh Chelsea, where can everyone find you as as just a general reminder? Uh,
1: You can find me uh, at uh, clrx4 on Twitter if you want to see me uh, talk about all the fables around the table stuff we're doing. Um, And if you have a need for fantasy and RPG themed candles, you can find you can buy my candles at plot kindling candles on etsy and uh yeah
0: yeah um did you say fables around the table i was i was writing something yes. down okay <laughs> i did <laughs> okay uh so uh we have lots of other project well i guess we have one other project derailed podcast and possibly more to come um we have uh, Tales of the Voidfarer, which is a Spelljammer-inspired D&D 5th edition actual play podcast that I am on. Um, I'm uh, Nick Arisiva, who was on the last episode of this podcast, is our lovely DM on that, and it's really fun, and everyone should listen to it. You can find it at Pod on Twitter and at VoidfarerPodcast on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> you can find... Uh, You can find Big Streaming Pile at Big Stream Pile on Twitter and Facebook, Big Streaming Pile. I don't know what our at symbol is for that. I'm sure that I made one at some point, but if you just type (laughs) in Big Stream Pile, it'll it'll lead you there. And uh, yeah, you can find all of our podcasts on wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, you should check out projectreel.com also for more nerdy goodness. Um, I think that that's it. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye, guys.
1: Introducing Tales of the Voidfarer. Join the spacefaring adventures of a group of misfits in this D&D 5th edition podcast inspired by the 2nd edition setting, Spelljammer. My name's Marco
0: Astorio. My character is a Yankee. My character is a Doar.
1: Adorable little penguin people. You're Ravness, right?
0: Yes, I, 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 and you are.
1: I, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Luckby Cumble. My name is Captain Valeria Rain. And welcome aboard, the Voidfarer. Luckbeak, Ravnus, come on. There's so much to see over here. Catch new episodes of Tales of the Voidfarer every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast fix. That's funny. Wait, did you just Hmm? say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. (laughs) As each day shrinks shorter and the nights grow colder, our souls prepare to darken along with the night sky. Four storytellers gather round the campfire. Each has a tale to tell.
0: The counselors at Camp Marigold are trying to move on from the terrors of the previous summer. Will they escape from the clutches of the Lindworm? Three
1: friends investigate a small town after their vehicle breaks down on their road trip. Will they survive its horrifying secret or succumb to devastation? A tale of mystical felines who watch over the children of the neighborhood. Will they be able to save them on All Hallows' Eve? When nightmares become indistinguishable from reality, where do the real horrors lie? Fables around the
0: table. Firelight premieres October 7th.
1: Wherever you get your podcasts. ProjectDerailed.com